He spoke with the honor about three years ago when I came across his first book in the Manticore Ascendant series at the local library. Hello everyone and welcome to episode two of Parliament Speaks. In this episode, we have the first in a series of interviews with peers and MPs of the realm, beginning with the Deputy First Space Lord, Baron McCovey Cove, by the Baron New Victoria, followed by a summary of the House of Lords Prime Minister's questions presented by Duke Carster C. Without further ado, I present Sir Justin. Hello everyone. I'm Justin Grays, and I have with me here Vice Admiral Sir Michael Garcia, Baron McCovey Cove. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm doing all right. Is it all right if I call you Michael, or would you prefer Mike for the podcast? Uh, either works. All right. All right. Uh, so first, if you could tell us, how long have you been a member of the Royal Mance Corps Navy? Well, I first joined in 2014, and I was on the HMS Roland in 10th Fleet, which is where I live and still live. So I joined because Zach Perkins was putting together a pinnace and looking to launch his own chapter, which eventually became HMS Artemis in San Francisco. Because Roland was based in San Jose, which is actually where I, that's San Jose is where I live. But I've known Zach for a number of years. And so the, it was kind of a beta accompli at that point, considering the work that we had put in another fandom organization together. And it made it easy to kind of transition over to TRMN at that time. However, it <laughs> it kind of grew very quickly and I didn't realize how deep I was going to get into TRMN uh, you know, at that time. I, I didn't foresee what was coming down the pipe, but I guess Zach kind of did. So, And that other fan organization, was that Starfleet International? Uh, Starfleet, the International Star Trek Fan Association, yes. Yeah. Um, tell us what you do uh, in TRMN. Well, I am the Deputy First Space Lord for the Royal Manticore Navy, uh, and I report directly to Laura Locken, who is the First Space Lord. And for the most part, I i mean, it sounds like I, I assist, but really Laura and I kind of work together as a team. Because that's the type of person that Laura is. It's not really a... She doesn't put on a lot of airs. And we don't... We, we work together just to solve a lot of problems. And listen to people. And, and try to bring equitable resolutions or equitable solutions to those issues that are brought you know, before her and myself. We work with the bureaus. We work with the fleet uh, COs. And try to make life a little easier in terms of enjoying the organization for all of the members. So essentially that is the, that is a very bird's eye level view of what we do. But, and I, I'll probably, I'm probably oversimplifying things, but it is, it is a complex job. I imagine it is. Uh, what would you say is the biggest challenge you face in your role? Dealing with a lot of disparate personalities and agendas, because I think that in any fandom organization or really anytime you get a group of people together, 
and there is a power structure. There are there's the politics that go with it, even though you may not assume that an organization that's built up of fans would have uh, politics, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. they exist, and that's there. There is a you have to have a certain level of skill to be able to navigate it. There, um, there are a lot of expectations that everybody brings to the table, which is kind of what I was talking about: agendas and motivations and. Um, I think the the challenge is is based in keeping an open mind and being a good listener and understanding both or all sides of a particular issue before trying to either present or affect a solution. The last thing you want to do is side with one over the other. And I think in the history of the organization, and I'm sure you would agree with this, that we've kind of suffered from a lot of that absolute kind of behavior or absolutism when it comes to approaching problems that are being brought to the leaders in our organization. Yes, I uh, definitely would say so. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's one of the reasons why I really love working with Laura because Laura has the capacity and the dynamic ability to listen and consider because nothing we do is is urgent. Nothing we do is is a super priority. Nobody's life is in the balance, really, based on the decisions that we make. So it's a lot easier to just say, you know, present your case. We're going to listen to what you have to say, and then we'll we'll discuss it and try to find a compromise or try to find a solution that everybody can be happy with. And Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't because, again, I mentioned the disparate personalities before and um, sometimes those personalities are uh, are not as open-minded and they don't want to listen to the other side. They want, it's a it's an all-or-nothing, zero-sum game to them. And, and it's unfortunate, but I think that one of the things that Laura and I have in common is that we're both instructors, we're both teachers. Um, I'm a corporate instructor. She works in learning solutions or um, uh, education on her end. Mm-hmm. So there, we have, I think, between the two of us, you know, in discussing certain issues, we can try to find a way not only to move the immovable, but also educate at the same time so that maybe we can open their minds a little bit and say, consider, consider this side, consider, you know, show a little empathy. I really feel like that's the the takeaway is that if we practice empathy with each other as members, that it might help open that open that door up in our everyday lives and make the world just a little bit better in our own way. You know, just trying to say, guys, we're all here together for the same purpose. Let's find that commonality rather than you know having those conflicts. So, um, so I guess the big challenge really when it comes down to it is just conflict resolution. Um, and I think that would be a challenge for anybody. And, and even though we're dealing with it at our level, we're always looking at it with a view towards the most difficult job, uh, in the organization, which I feel, uh, ever since I was third space Lord has been chapter CO. Um, so when chapter C, cause chapter COs are, are basically they're they have the toughest jobs. They're having to lead groups. They're having to discuss things on a very ground, the, basically the ground floor level of the organization. But 
every even though we might say ground floor, really they encompass the whole organization to their members. They're the representative. They're the people that we trust for uh, for the purposes of leading and growing the organization at the chapter level. But without chapters, the organization doesn't exist. And that's something that I, I don't ever want to lose sight of in terms of supporting those chapters by way of fleets and echelons and that sort of thing. So, Most certainly. Yeah. You and I, we both have been uh, chapter COs and just being on the ground floor like that definitely can be a trial by fire sometimes. Yeah. Um, what would you say you've learned from your real life work that has helped you as being um, deputy first space Lord, you know, aside well, from the uh, conflict resolution. Aside from conflict <laughs> resolution. Um, well, I mean, it, it, it is a big, I think it's a big part of it. I think that, that one of the things that I've learned from, from my real world experiences not necessarily from my professional occupations. I would say that there are there are aspects of fandom leadership that I really and strongly feel are based in kind of the worst examples. And we don't understand I think as as a as people in general, and not necessarily TRMN, but if we think about it in a broader sense, we're we're the sum of our experiences all throughout our lives. And it's important to understand that when we find ourselves in a situation that is unfamiliar or we were very unsure of ourselves, we lack that confidence that we might have in other areas, it's, it's pretty much our default behavior to go to the examples that we have experienced in our lives, good or bad. In the past, and I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna reduce this scope a little bit to encompass Tierman. In the past, we have had leadership that has been less than great. Yes, and and unfortunately, for a lot of people uh, in in that have that have had direct experience with that poor leadership, and and I'm talking about on high in particular. That's the only example of leadership that they have. And even though they themselves will spend a lot of their time advocating against that behavior, when thrust into those leadership roles, they will undoubtedly look back to that poor example as, as, the, uh, as the standard of leadership. And so they're perpetuating, ironically, perpetuating the, the bad leadership qualities that they themselves essentially railed against and perhaps unconsciously but it happens and so that's the that is the long-term effect that i always think about in terms of leadership roles in fandom organizations leadership roles and um, you know i mean i sit on a i sit on a board for a, a c corp or a convention out here in california and you can kind of see the the waves these long-term waves of of just you know, just bad ideas and bad decisions and, and bad examples. And it's hard to, like a salmon swimming upstream, it's so hard to fight against that. You could be the best possible example, but it's it's really difficult to, like, 
supplant those experiences within everybody in order to kind of show them a better way of doing things. I'm, I sincerely hope and I believe with all my heart that Laura does exemplify the better parts of our personalities, the better, the better type of leadership that we should have had from the very beginning. But, you know, one of the things I like to do in my current capacity as deputy, as her deputy in particular, is to help push that agenda forward to say, it doesn't have to be this bad. It doesn't have to be, you don't, you don't have to lament the upper echelons of leadership. We can, we can work together as a team to solve the problems that we're facing as a, a fandom organization, particularly now, you know, in a global pandemic where I think there's a lot of uncertainty out there, not just in being in the organization, but just in our everyday lives. We don't know what the next day is going to hold. And this year has been such a roller coaster ride. So people will often turn to TRMN as sort of a salve to that. You know, there's a social element here. We have a lot of friends. I'm, I'm sure between the two of us, we know quite a few people in the organization that we think of as, as close friends. And, yes. and that's very important from a social perspective because we're social, we're very social people to begin with. And when we remove the component of that, of the convention life, right? Nobody's been to a convention this year, I don't think. Um, and that impacts us. You know, we feel very isolated. So, you know, I'm really thankful to to uh, Diane and Cheryl for putting together the Zoom calls and trying to keep people interested and, and uh, uh, keeping that social aspect up as much as possible because I think it's a necessary outlet. We have the Discord server. We have, you know, the Facebook groups. We have... Um, there's even the MeWe groups now, uh, for those that are either abandoning Facebook or don't want to be on Facebook. Uh, and so there's a lot of methods of communication that are virtual that are trying to kind of bridge that gap. Um, but I think that ultimately all of that is just going to come back to the fact that the more, the more time that we spend on focusing on the positive aspects, the easier it's going to be to to abandon the negative stuff that has happened in the past. So. Definitely. Well, I do know many people, uh, myself included, have said that this has been the best first Space Lord team that we have ever had. And the way that you and Laura have been running things, I think, shows that to be true. Because there's been a lot of improvement and everyone just seems happier in general. And I really thank you and Laura for that. That is fantastic work you've been doing. Well, I, I, I hope, and I, I thank you. I mean, I, I appreciate that. But then there's a part of me that kind of chies away and says it, if only we'd had that, you know, from the beginning, <laughs> you know, yeah. like if only, oh, yes. if only we didn't have to suffer through the egos and the, and the, um, I don't know. It's like the pride and ego are, are really big sometimes in this organization. And, and unfortunately we just had, you know, we had a couple of first base Lords four that let their egos, um, override everything, you know, override all, all, all others. And, and even in the most recent, the last couple of 
for space lords were not were unfortunately not you know um keeping that in mind and you know to a even lesser extent you know it, it got pretty bad even for the webbers you know so mm-hmm. that's uh that's the exact opposite of the function of this organization in my in my personal opinion um i did i'm I don't know if Laura feels that way. I, I'm sure she does, but I don't want to speak for her. Um, but it just seems to me like TRMN shouldn't be taking away anything from the Honor Harrington, like from U9 or from David and Sharon. And and I was mortified, absolutely mortified by what happened uh, with uh, Scott and U9 and, and all of that. So to have to follow kind of in that um you know i mean laura's very aware and she's attuned and she keeps her 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 mind is always on you know how the members are dealing with things and she's very compassionate uh about that um and it's one of the things that i really enjoy i really enjoy about our working relationship because it's refreshing to finally have somebody that you know in that role that is thinking of the members all the time every question that we get we're always considering impact um somebody would like a change okay well how is that going to impact you know the member the individual member how does that impact their everyday lives in terms of the organization and that's that's a question that gets asked every single time like we want to make sure like for for example um we're still currently working on the replacement for the black sphinx uh cup Mm-hmm. And one of the big questions is how do we change it from a competitive and cutthroat uh, competition that it, it kind of perverted into and make it more of a cooperative in the spirit of teamwork. And so we're still we're still working on the details and we've we've leveraged, you know, the fleet CEOs and the and some of the bureau personnel to kind of come to an equitable solution in terms of making it you know, about the prestige of being a fleet working together as a team as opposed to an individual chapter warning and, you know, earning a singular honor. So we're still, we're still ironing out a lot of the details and trying to figure out how to, because it's, it's a different world than it was <laughs> at the beginning of the year. And so some of the activities that we had planned for it weren't, aren't going to work in a virtual environment. So we have to we're coming up with uh, virtual equivalents to kind of talk about that, but we're we're not ready to kind of roll that out yet. We're still ironing out the details. What would you say is your favorite memory in TRMN? That's that's tough. <laughs> I I enjoy all of the all of the conventions that I've been to with with our group, especially in 10th fleet. Um, but I really also enjoyed my time at Manticon and I enjoyed my time at SphinxCon, uh, in Atlanta. It was really, it, it's just, it's funny because it's like we've done chapter meetings and we've done chapter events, but honestly the conventions are the best time when everybody can, kind of cut loose and there's a bit of a uh, a separation you know from your everyday life and you're just going off and having fun with everybody at a con that's 
you're at a hotel, everybody's there. You don't have to look too far to find somebody that you know. It's a familiar environment. It's almost like wearing a really comfortable pair of slippers. Mm, totally. From an emotional standpoint. Yeah. And so you get you get a sense of camaraderie, but really what what it ends up being is is familial in terms of its effect on you. At least on me. I, I'm maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking that everybody thinks like me, but I just feel like when I go to a convention and I'm seeing my friends and we're having a good time and and there's a focus, either a fan table or we're doing a party room or or maybe we're doing an Artemis uh, the simulator together. Whatever whatever the goal is at that convention beyond recruiting, it it helps bring everybody together and you kind of get to see everybody's strengths because when you're in that type of situation there's a natural inclination to kind of play to your strengths oh i'm really good at i'm really good at organizing i'm really good at supplying food which is so important <laughs> yes it is <laughs> food, and, food and drink is so important at these events and so you you get to see everybody play it's almost like a baseball team everybody finds their natural position and then they show exactly how natural they are at it. Um, and it's not without it's like, it's not 100% perfect. Nothing is, but you take the good and the bad and it not forms that very, um, the, the tapestry of that experience becomes very featureful. And that's what really makes that indelible mark on you. And I've never experienced that in any other organization that I've been in. Uh, this has been, and, and I, I know that there have been in the past, like Starfleet's had their their conventions, and I'm sure, but uh, I've never, like beyond maybe a couple, but it was never like this. It was never like it was in TRMN. In TRMN, there is a level of acumen that everybody brings because they want to put their most professional foot forward, and it shows the in that earnestness, that desire to want to demonstrate exactly how... Uh, how much we can be a support to each other and it's almost competitive in that way but that's that's the type of competition i do like is the fact that everybody's going out of their way oh you need uh, a ribbon rack well i've got one and and i've also got ribbons for you oh you need help with your uniform i know how to i, I know how to tailor that for you let me go ahead and help you out and it's no hesitation no hesitation i've never seen that in any other organization so in, in far as specific memory, I would say that it's hard for me to nail down one specific memory, but it's a culmination of those experiences. And I'm almost ashamed to admit this, but because of those wonderful experiences in this organization, I feel like I'm also kind of ruined for others because now the bar has been set so high that uh, if, if an, you know, an, an event in another organization doesn't meet that bar, I'm disappointed and and I, I know that's kind of sad but i also feel that's that's like the highest compliment i could possibly pay to, to trmn i can definitely appre appreciate that it's been a great time and you know i agree you know being able to get together with people at conventions is you know just really comforting and as you said you know like emotionally sliding on that comfortable pair of slippers it's 
such a great feeling. Um, what would you say, uh, who, sorry, who would you say is your favorite Honorverse character? Yeah, so, <laughs> so in the very beginning, I did like Honor Harrington, but I started really gravitating towards uh, Horace Harkness. Mm-hmm. And it had everything to do with the fact that I was my first uh, shipboard position was as ship's bosun in 2014 on on April 15th 2014 is when I became a ship's bosun and I was reveted to chief petty officer so uh, and at that time I had <laughs> so I have, I have a bit of a I have a bit of a uh, secret about my ambivalence towards the honorverse because <laughs> um and it's probably gonna get me into trouble with fans of the of the honorverse but it doesn't really you know like who cares i don't know <laughs> like it doesn't really matter but i will say this i wasn't a fan of the honorverse when i first read it i really felt like the honor harrington character was it just it wasn't compelling like i didn't feel emotionally invested and i read a lot of books but um, but also I was going through a really, it was a, it was a different time in my life. I was going through a divorce, uh, when I first read, um, on Basilisk station. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it's likely that my, my intake was colored by the fact that I was going through a severe traumatic and emotional, uh, experience at the time in 2014, I joined mostly because my friends were already in Airmen. I didn't really join because I was a fan of the, of the books I've joined because I knew so many people that were in Starfleet that also were in TRMN. And so as a consequence of that, of those relationships that I had formed in Starfleet, I figured, sure, why not? But, <laughs> and, and here's the, here's the, uh, the rub, I guess I told Zach, I had zero interest in being anything other than a crew member. I was like, I don't, but I don't want to be, I, I told him, I said, I'll join your crew, but I don't want to be, I want, I want zero responsibility whatsoever. I just want to be Joe, nobody, you know, I just, I, I want to, I just want to participate and have fun, but I don't want to, uh, I don't want to do anything. So that lasted for about 40 days <laughs> and then nobody, nobody was stepping up to be ship's bosun at the time. And so I kind of looked around and I was like, fine, you know, like we need a bosun, so I'll do it. But it was one of those, like, I'm, be- I'm being dragged into it because we wanted to form the chapter and we needed a third member of the triad. And we already had captain and XO. Um, the captain was Thomas Maroney of, uh, of U9 and Zach was going to be XO. And then they were like, does anybody want to be bosun? And, and we're sitting in the wardroom on the SS Jeremiah O'Brien and the wardroom's full of people that are going to join the chapter. I think there were about 18 of us that were there, I think. And nobody stepped up, but I think it was, I don't know if it was because the job wasn't adequately explained or anything, but I was like, okay, sure. I'll, I'll do it because there's so much hesitation and so much un, you know, uncertainty and, and everybody's reticent to accept the responsibility that in my mind, if, if somebody has a reticence to accepting a role, they're not going to do it very well. 
Like it's really rare that you find somebody who just takes to it. Um, but I, I, I know that in within myself, I've, I, I pride myself on a personal conviction that if I take on a duty or responsibility, I try to see it through 100%. And if I can't do it, then I will let somebody know, Hey, I'm no longer able to do this. So you're gonna have to find somebody else who can, um, because that, you know, it's a dependency thing. I come from an operational background. So if you have a weak dependency, then the whole thing falls apart. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be that weak link. So I stepped up and I said, I'll do it. And then found out more about it. And then I realized that ships bosuns and, and I hope that all of my fellow bosuns past, present and future are listening to this. Bosun's actually the most important role in a chapter. I've been a, I've been a CEO. I've been a bosun. CEO, yes, you know, is about leadership and policy making. But bosuns have to make it go. They have to execute even more than the XO does because they're the voice and the mouthpiece for the rest of the crew. So there's a communications element that you really need to leverage in order to be a bosun. On top of which, you also have to be the cheerleader in order to get the crew to train up. Or select a rating or perhaps entertain positions with you know either on the chapter or within the echelon or within the fleet you have to talk to the fleet bosun you have to talk to the smack pond there's you know the the inner workings of a chapter in in its relationship with its environment hinges on having a really good chips bosun and so so to to all the bosuns out there you if you're if you're feeling underappreciated, that's also unfortunately part of the role. <laughs> it is you're you're going to feel underappreciated, but you should know that the work that you do is so impactful that it's nearly it's impossible for a hyper capable chapter to function without a good one. So be the best boson that you possibly can be, and if you don't know how to do that, ask questions. Talk to other bosuns, set up that support network because you need one. The tier of men is basically one big support network, but you got to find your own like vein of that network in order to function. You're, you need your own like neural net to, to depend on. The COs have one, the XOs have one, bosuns also have one. I'm, I'm happy to see that the Discord is functioning like that a little bit, the tier of men official Discord, uh, where where white berets can talk to each other, exos can talk to each other, bosuns can talk to each other, and and etc. So that's the for me. I I think that being a ship's bosun was the most fun, and then becoming a fleet bosun on top of that was just kind of like icing on the cake because I got to bring the the benefit of all those experiences to those bosuns that I could see were struggling, and talked them through. Um, their struggle to be able to say, hey, I've been here before. Let me show you what I did. And then you can devise your own strategy and kind of be flexible about that. Um, and that kind of that kind of natural progression just led me to where I am today. So I started out at not wanting to do, <laughs> well, not wanting to do anything. And now I'm Deputy First Space Lord. So there's the, there's the uh, I guess, inherent danger of having as I said before, the organization that's so incredibly amazing that it makes you want to take on responsibility. It makes you look at your friends and say, I want to make life easier for you in this group. I want to do what I can to make this a, a better 
uh, enjoyable environment so that we all have fun together. And I don't mind taking on those responsibilities, but it, as long as everybody understands that it is a duty and a responsibility and not authority is there's that, there's that line that you don't want to cross where you're having to say, well, I'm the boss and you do what I say. And that's not how it works. CEOs and exos and and bosons and uh and space lords and fleet CEOs and echelon CEOs and deputy first space lords and first place lords we all work for the members and it's important to understand that without the members we have no organization absolutely that you know that's it that's the that's the end of the that's the real bottom line right there is that we have to understand that as leaders we work for the members not the other way around totally 100% and so, yeah, and we, we, we have to carry that responsibility with absolute and utmost care to those members or else we'll lose the members and then we're just a bunch of people just standing around waiting for, what, new members to come in? But membership begets membership and fun begets fun. And when if, if this organization ceases being fun, people will leave. And so that's why it's really important for us to maintain that level as I said before, you know, with the conventions and understanding and, and the familial relationships that you kind of build, because a lot of people, I've, I've heard this so many times that they've said that TRMN is like a family to them. And I, I agree wholeheartedly. It, it is very much like that. The relationships that I've formed in this group have dovetailed into other aspects of my life outside of TRMN. And so it's, it's those long lasting relationships that you make that are so deeply and keenly felt that make this organization, I feel stand above all the other fandom groups that I've been in. And I want, I would very much like for every member to enjoy that level of connection in TRMN. And that's that. And I, I believe with all my heart, that's what Laura and I are trying to do on a daily basis in those roles. And that's something you and I both have in common that, you know, we started out enlisted and not wanting to take leadership positions and ending up being flag officers and members of the House of Lords. Um, how did you feel when you discovered that you've been uh, granted the peerage, uh, became the Baron of Makovi Cove? I was pretty astonished. It happened at Manticon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a, you know, that the thing about Manticon and, and SphinxCon is when you have those, those events that are focused entirely on TRMN, it's even more of a, of an honor or more of a, uh, deeply affecting, announcement than it might at a at a convention outside of the you know of, of our our international cons um so i was i was definitely affected and uh i remember sharon being like super excited about it and she uh she gave me a big hug and and we talked about it and she was just so she was thrilled. I thought I've actually thought that she was more thrilled than than I was at one point about it because <laughs> she had, 
she she big you know Sharon gets this big old grin on her face and she and her laugh is so infectious it is and and i'm <laughs> and i'm like oh my god you know like i'm i'm still kind of stunned i'm very stupefied by the by the by the announcement because i wasn't necessarily expecting it um and also you know we're we're all our own worst critics you know so sometimes we don't we don't necessarily see the effects that our work has on on the organization and sometimes our sometimes we're 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 not that um I guess we, we lack that sort of awareness or we lack that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm -hmm. We lack that awareness or perhaps we lack the self-confidence sometimes, especially when it comes to awards and compliments. We tend to, you know, we blush and, and there's an aw shucks, you know, kind of response to it because uh, a lot of us don't want that type of attention. And so uh, awards and recognition, it's, you know it can be great and it's leveraged as a positive thing in the organization and so it's one of the things about tier men that we're that i believe works for the most part well i mean there's i don't agree 100 percent with with all the recognition decisions or the recognition procedures but but it's a lot better and more functional uh than other organizations handle their recognition which i do i do like a lot um, but that being said, when the focus is on you, when the spotlight is on you, it can be a bit of a fight or flight moment. Yeah, <laughs> it can be. It's like, oh crap! Now everybody's looking at me. So there is a there is a uh, uh, a moment there where I was like, what? <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? I go up to the stage and and uh, you have to kneel and and get uh, the sword on your shoulders. And uh, again, like I said, Sharon was the one that was doing that, so it was uh, it was definitely a moment that I'll I won't forget. I still have the David Weber signed certificate. Um, it's in my in my office here. So I it 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 was a very proud moment, and I am also really happy that it's McCovey Cove. Because I'm a, I'm a life a lifelong member a fan of the San Francisco Giants and in particular Willie McCovey, the late Willie McCovey who passed last year or two years ago now. Um, and the Cove itself is gorgeous, uh, and that's where all the fans go in their kayaks to catch home run balls when they're hit over the short porch in uh, right field. But I've always I've, I've always maintained that when I die, I I would really like for my ashes to be spread in that cove. So it's it's a it was a very deeply affecting peerage land choice the name that they chose for me, um, which is why I think I I remember telling Laura I hope I never make Duke because <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to change my 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 land my peerage name, but uh, but I, if if I should ever be so honored as to be promoted to Duke, then I do have one in in mind. So, um, and it, anybody who's read the McCovey Cove wiki page will, you know, you can find it pretty easily. Yes. Well, another thing that we have in common is that 
I believe we are the only two persons of color who are members of the House of Lords. And I think we're the only flag officers. Um, has that really... Have you noticed that having an effect on uh, your work within TR, TRMN? Well, I think it's pretty safe to say that most fandom organizations are predominantly... Uh, or I should say, un I think that people of color are fairly underrepresented in fandom organizations as a whole. Not just your men, but Starfleet, SCA, um, pretty much, pretty much every fandom organization I've I've been a member of, I've been the only person of color, perhaps in my local group. Yeah, but I try not to wear it as a chip on my shoulder, unless there are incidences that bring that to light, you know an off-color joke um, that's made uh, that's made maybe thoughtlessly but obviously not you know without consideration to who I am and being a person of color is you know and that's who I am but I think that that in some conversations some people may forget that you know I'm a Latino and and will make uh, will make a a joke, you know, and then that and that has actually happened to my face, not in TRMN, but in other organizations where I'll be at a convention and somebody makes a joke about Latinos in particular, not remembering perhaps that I am one, mm. and it is uh, it is telling, you know, it is telling. Um, TRMN, I feel handles it a little bit better although there have been incidences where it's been pretty obvious that um there is a uh, insular attitude with respect to ethnic uh, ethnic backgrounds mm -hmm. or ethnicity i suppose um but there it's i think there's a it's difficult being I think it's difficult being a flag officer in a position of leadership where you have to consider the whole and I'll often I'll often kind of sacrifice wanting to correct or make that correction in lieu of of that team kind of focus and it's probably to my detriment and the detriment of other people of color in the organization that I'll sometimes smooth myself out because especially when I'm like the sole representative <laughs> I'm sitting in a room and, and somebody makes a joke and, or somebody makes a comment and perhaps forgets that I'm sitting there too, because they're, they're used to not, you know, maybe they're not used to interacting with people of color. And so there is a, uh, an attitude or, a, or a feeling of comfort in being able to say whatever they want or act in whatever fashion that they want. So it does make it a little difficult. Um, and there are times when, and, and I think that, I know you and I have spoken about this, where it's, it, we deeply feel it. You know, I mean, there's a, there are times when we're, we're fairly aware and the, uh, shall we say, our antenna are out and we can attune ourselves to a tone or we can attune ourselves to 
an inflection and a word choice and Definitely. and kind of infer from that that there is a derogatory thing being said but then isn't there also kind of like a a valve inside or or a decision making process that we kind of employ are we going to pursue that or are we going to let that go and what are the what are the consequences of either decision and that that is something that i live through you know on a daily basis mm-hmm. um which is uh it's unfortunate but it is it's how society is now and compounded with recent events and the and the sudden bravery of certain uh, viewpoints and attitudes that have come to light you know the last four years um, without naming a specific event yeah um I'm picking up there's down yeah there is an emboldened or emboldened state of address that is now come to light um and i think that as members of an organization and i think there's an irony here as members and i'll I'll, i'm going to use a different type of label here as members of a feminist science fiction fandom organization i am utterly appalled at times at the way that sometimes we treat women in this organization and i think that that's something that needs to be said um and it, and it's also something that I feel we should change, or, or perhaps come to the realization that our entire organization is based on a science fiction book series with a female lead, and that she herself faces the kind of discrimination, obviously in the honor of the queen. Um, that we were, you know, even in discussions amongst ourselves, we were obviously siding with Honor Harrington. So it's kind of sometimes appalling that we don't perpetuate that appalled behavior that we've given to a fictional character into actual female members of our organization. I just feel like there's a cognitive dissonance there that we should, we should recognize and and work very hard to correct. Um, And I, I, I feel even in my capacity as third space Lord that I tried my very best to encourage, um, representation and and support and promotion of the feminist agenda and i don't mean feminist in the colloquial term i mean in the dictionary definition of equality not superiority mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that there should be representation uh in this organization and and honestly if you look at the cross-section of most fandom organizations we have so many more female members in trmn than i would dare say that starfleet does or or another fandom organization does maybe maybe not the SCA but but certainly in TRMN for the classification of a military science fiction fandom organization we I I've never seen this many um, amazing women uh, working in this organization and and I try my best every day to just support that encourage that welcome that embrace that uh, in in TRMN specifically, I tried in Starfleet, but <laughs> unfortunately, um, there's just too much history there. There's it's a 40 year old organization, so it's a little difficult. But yeah, I feel like we're we're on the precipice of moving into our well, we we're into our second decade of existence now. Um, but we have these phenomenal examples. We have Laura, we have Diane, we have Cheryl. Um, you know, I mean, we just 
you know, Lori in in view ships and and we just have these we just have these amazing women that that we I feel like don't get enough recognition sometimes. But I'm just so I feel that we're we're fortunate to have them here and we should do our best to encourage and prop them up as examples of you know to our other female members that hey you know you can step up you can serve um the organization can serve your fellow members and not have to worry about you know um being discouraged or or that it is a a sausage fest and you know or or worry about tokenism because i think that is as time goes on that's that's a singular concern that I hear over and over. Oh, well, I'm just the token person of color. I'm the token woman. I'm the token whatever. Um, and I think that, I don't think that at any point in my membership of TRMN that I ever felt tokenized. And that's purely because I didn't, I never let myself be tokenized by the organization. Mm -hmm. I, I made sure that my participation level was at a place where tokenization was not possible you know making yeah. yourself indispensable bringing something to the table demonstrating um a skill level demonstrating capacity and trying to be above all else professional even though it's technically not a professional environment but as as has been said many times you want to be the example you want to see in the world most definitely. Now, what is something that people should know about you as a person? That that I haven't already said? That you haven't already said. Like something <laughs> random, something not TRMN related. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I am... I mean, it's pretty clear that I'm a, I'm a Star Trek fan. Mm -hmm. So I think... I think... That's already been said. Um... I am also a diehard fan of Japanese animation, also known as anime or anime, depending on your uh, pronunciation of the short or long form of the vowel. I have uh, and I pronounced anime before. Well, it's because anime is a French word, and so obviously oh. in in the Romance languages, it's all you know, it's all short. Gotcha. A -E -A -O -U, so it's anime. Uh, and actually, it's pronounced that way in Japanese as well, anime. Um, okay. okay. And I, I also host a or co-host a radio show on Japan Radio. I've been doing that for uh, 11 years that reviews Japanese animation shows that are coming out right now in Japan. And we also talk about older shows. We feature older shows in their entirety rather than just talking about what happened this week in anime and all that. Um. I'm also, although I'm sure that those on the Discord are already aware, I'm also a Twitch streamer, Twitch and YouTube streamer, where I play mostly Star Trek Online and uh, World of Warships. But I think, I think that's about it. I'm, I work as a right now. I'm working as a litigation support specialist, so I do a lot of legal work, um, specifically supporting usually civil cases but occasionally i get pulled in on criminal um and i'm essentially a a glorified 
IT support person for litigation teams, but uh, uh, there's a lot of lines that get crossed. <laughs> that, like, I'm not purely IT. I also work on like Boolean searches and uh, discovery searches and finding relevant data and all of that. So there's you know there's a lot to that, but it's just a all-encompassing word for you know if something breaks, that guy fixes it, or if I have a question, that guy answers it. So all right. And we have been talking for about 45 minutes here, so. <laughs> that's okay. You can, that's what editing is for, right? <laughs> that is what editing is for. So I'm just going to ask, lastly here, uh, mm. where can our listeners connect with you online? Oh, um, so I, I have left Facebook personally. So I'm, that's probably why nobody has seen or heard me on Facebook since the, so as of January 1st of this year I deleted my Facebook account uh, in protest of the um, Facebook policies um, and hindering democracy mm -hmm. uh, or or misinforming voters um, on top of some other suspect behaviors so I just didn't want to be a part of that anymore so I deleted my Facebook account um, I all I have left now is a business account which is completely different and doesn't require personal information or anything like that so I do still participate with the business account or the 1SL page um, so uh, sometimes when you see announcements from office of the 1SL it's probably me or it's probably Rick um, or sometimes Laura obviously so I I can be found via email uh, at d1sl at trmn.org or lord at mccoveycove.org. Those are the two email addresses that I pretty much maintain for my TRMN side of things. I'm also on Twitter at Lord McCovey Cove. Uh, I'm also on MeWe, um, which has been sort of the uh, refugee place for those of us that are that are, you know, with a view towards leaving Facebook to find a better, less sketchy social media site. Um, I think for TRMN, that's pretty much it. Uh, so Twitter, yeah, Twitter, we me, me, we, and email. I'm also on Discord. If you can find me, I'm, uh, uh, my Discord account is, uh, is, I think it's on there as Vice Admiral mccovey cove right now but i'm pretty i'm i'm basically one of the black names up at the top for administrator black colored names um i think that's it right those are the those are pretty much the main sites that i congregate at um i'm on i'm also online i'm on signal uh for secure communications um, laura and i chat online frequently daily <laughs> <laughs> So uh, if you have a line account, it's line.me or line.me and you can sign up there and they have, it's actually pretty awesome. I, I, I think it's great. It's a, it's a, it's a end to end secure site and they just have a lot of bells and whistles that I appreciate like file sharing and um, you can make phone calls on it and everything. So it's kind of like WhatsApp, but it's not owned by Facebook. Cool. All right. And since you mentioned Twitch, where can people find you while you're streaming? Um, so I am located at twitch.tv slash 
continuum, and Q is spelled K-Y-U-U. Uh, or you can find me either either place at, at kyuu.stream, which essentially changes to reflect wherever I'm streaming. Uh, right now it's pointed toward Twitch because I was streaming yesterday on Twitch for about six and a half hours. Um, but when I when I moved over to YouTube, then the, the kyuu URL then will redirect you to my YouTube site. Um, and then uh, I also have a page on Facebook that's run by the business account called Q Continuum. There's a Twitter Q Continuum. And then uh, also on MeWe, there's the Q Continuum. So you can find me pretty much uh, on those social media sites as well. All right. Well, thank you very much for being on today. Oh, my pleasure. Greetings and felicitations, citizens of the Grand Alliance, and welcome again to the Parliament Speaks podcast. I trust everyone is hale and hearty this day and enjoying life as much as possible. I'm your host for this segment, Sir Robert Jackson, Duke Cardstat C, but between you and me, I'm good with just plain RJ. For this episode of our podcast, I will review two of the major issues that have arisen during the Prime Minister's questions. These occur in alternate months between the House of Lords and the House of Commons. I will, of course, be reviewing said questions from the House of Lords. So previously in the Prime Minister's questions from the House of Lords. In September 2018, the first question raised by the House involved our grace and allies. The question in light of a desire to expand the opportunities available for Graysons, would Her Majesty's government consider a proposal to A, change the Grayson High Admiral to the Grayson Ambassador, and B, allow the creation of civilian, military, and other programs underneath that heading? The First Lord of the Admiralty responded, the simple answer is no. In a more detailed answer, the main reason the answer is no is because we are already fairly well covered in civilian opportunities through the Manticore inside. We have a diplomatic corps, intelligent corps, astro control, merchant marine, Sphinxian forestry commission, and peerage land staff. We made a decision that all civilian groups are Manticoran to allow the others to focus more effectively. The Royal Council has in the past felt, and I agree, that diluting this further by switching to a more civilian aspect is not what TRMN stands for. We are a military fan organization, and as such, the military groups hold the leadership position. For this reason, we will not be switching the Grayson toward a more civilian focus. The High Admiral is a commanding member of the Grayson of the Grand Alliance fleet through their position on the Royal Council. Another question along those lines was raised in July of this year. This house recognizes that we have a not insignificant number of members that both identify with our civilian service, but also identify with a non-Manticore nation. Given both this house and the House of Commons remit towards changes to the experience of civilian members of the organization, would the Royal Council be open to a bill allowing civilian members to identify their nationality? The FLA responded, It is a question of many parts, 
but the simple answer is they will still receive Manticore and Civilian awards. And if they are part of the non-uniform civilian services, they will still be Manticoran. We will not be creating additional database categories for them at this time. Starting in September 2018, a common theme question concerning the awards manual arose. There are likely a few typos and minor fixes which need to be done, but we hope to get both of these manuals out as soon as practical considering these changes. The format is, to the best of my knowledge, the same as was handed to Bucom previously, so it is mainly a decision to split them which slowed down the release. Again, in November 2018, the question was raised on the status of the awards manual. The response was given by Rear Admiral Rob Marshall, Baron New Halifax, 4th Space Lord, Bureau of Communications. Honorable Speaker, I wish to address this topic, if I may. With respect to the awards manual, I will go into some history first, then elaborate into its current state. Hopefully this will address the question to your satisfaction. The RMA expressed a desire for an awards manual to my predecessor, where the member explained that he had a concept of what he wanted to produce, and my predecessor then said that he could work on things, but he needed to provide some mock-ups of the layout for review and approvals. I had been advised that at no time were any mock-ups provided until my predecessor was given a copy, posted to FLA and the first Space Lord given a copy. Upon initial reaction to the document, it was determined that it was encompassing too much content and was first decided to split into three separate publications, the Award Manual, the Marksmanship Manual, and the Devices Manual. This decision was due to the amount of content that can change and the significant effort to revise large manuals if a small subsection requires updating. In my bureau, I have a process and a procedure that we are following for any manual handbook publication. This is that after it goes through our internal reviews and edits, I submit the document to the Royal Council for review and approval. This way, the senior leadership of the organization reviews content and has the opportunity to make changes before the documents go to a larger audience. Once a document passes this approval level, it is then distributed to the Space Lords, their deputies, and other individuals included in our Space Lords chat. This level is for review and approval so that all bureaus know what is coming out, can make changes if needed to make things compliant with bureau policies and procedures. After this is complete, the FLA is informed that the specific publication is ready for general distribution. Once permission to distribute has been granted, the Bureau of Communications will make the document available on the website and also send a copy to the Bureau of Supply so they can add it to their online store. The Marksmanship Manual and the Devices Manual are in the final stage of editing and layout currently and I plan to release these things through the process for approvals and distribution. I expect the Royal Council will begin seeing these manuals within the next two weeks. Now back to the last of the component manuals, specifically the awards manual. When we received the document as it was supplied, the original author used different styles, formatting, and layouts that are fundamentally different from the styles currently used by all TRMN publications. The publication team will have to convert them to match Mandacoran style and hope does not damage the design too much. 
that we cannot fix it. In other words, there's a lot of work left in this one to make it compliant with our organizational formats. The publications team is working on this, but I have prioritized their workload to first complete the marksmanship and devices manuals, then to complete the RMACS uniform manual, then to work on this awards manual. This way, I am trying to get manuals that need less effort for my teams to get out in the middle of January 2019. Lastly, Lord Speaker, I would recommend that if members want to give content for a publication, a simple Word document is preferred, as my team can load that into our template, then it is minor formatting to complete, as our editors can review the Word document easier. If a different design layout is desired, then also providing a couple of mock-up designs is required as my publications team work use these design publications tools. An additional question was also asked about a GSN manual. At this time, we need to finish off the main awards manual before we work on the manual for any other branches. There are plans to ensure every star nation will have their own. In July of this year, the question was once more poised and was mentioned in our previous podcast. The response was given by Major General James Olson, Royal Manicorn Marine Corps, Baron Grays Harbor. The Bureau of Communications does not currently have a Grayson specific awards manual in production. We are currently working on an update to the RMN awards manual, which will also list the equivalent awards for other services, including the GSN and RMA and likely include SFC and other civilian awards. I have been told that at some point in the past that the Office of the High Admiral was working on content for a GSN awards manual, but if so, BUCOM has not yet been included in the process. There were no questions for September of this year or going forward for November also of this year. I want to thank you for being a listener to this podcast and a member of TRMN. In service to Kingdom and Crown, I remain Sir Robert, Duke, Cardstad C. Thank you for listening. This has been Episode 2 of Parliament Speaks. Our co-presenters and content creators were Baron New Victoria, Baron Clipper Island, Duke Karstadt C, and Chris Holloway, the Honourable Member for First Fleet. These recordings were generated in 2020. Members and friends of the TRMN, We look forward to welcoming you back next time. Until then, stay safe and goodbye.